Hello, everyone. It is very good to see you all today. I just love being here with you. And I'm, I'm excited about this sermon, which I'm sure will not surprise you, but uh, the reason I'm excited about this particular sermon today is that I get to have all of you over to my house in a manner of speaking. Like, we don't change your lunch plans. We will not all fit. But uh, figuratively, I'm inviting you over to my house because that's where I generally write my sermons. And they come from a prayer and conversation that happens in my house. And I, I normally go through kind of a whole process of polishing that, those raw prayers and raw conversations into a sermon that I offer you all. But this week, I get to do something kind of special. I am going to invite you in to part of that raw conversation between me and God. So, so normally I wouldn't do this, but the conversation this week, it, it seemed significant. And it seemed worthwhile. So for part of the sermon, I'm just going to give it to you straight, what I've been up to and what I've been hearing and talking about this week. And so for everyone that's coming from a distance or another time, this is perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm always glad to have you, but this is really cool because if you're in your front room or, or bedroom or any kind of cozy or special place, that is exactly the setting that these kinds of conversations came out of. So with your permission, uh, your space can be our shared space this week. So I, I'm just so happy to have you here and I want to welcome you. So this conversation came out of a particular passage in the Bible. It's a story you may be familiar with. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And this can be found in uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and that's in pages uh, 863 in the House Bible. So I'll give you a moment to pull out, your, uh, pull out the app or your own Bible or a House Bible in the chairs. It's always good to kind of follow along to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. All right, so that's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 40. As the disciples, as, oh, sorry, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So this opening is fairly straightforward. Uh, Mary and Martha, they are followers of Jesus. Uh, they are major supporters of his ministry, of his life and his work. And he is coming to visit, and not just visit, but actually stay and eat at their home. It's kind of hard to express what a big deal that is in their culture. I mean, this is, this is such a significant event for them. I mean, this is, this is like having your favorite celebrity come over or, or, I don't know, your favorite author or speaker or sports star or whoever. The most important person you can think of is actually eating at your house. So there was a natural desire to serve Jesus, to honor him, to make him the best meal and the best experience. But on top of this natural desire, there was also a cultural expectation of what Martha would do and where Martha would be. Actually, not just Martha, all women, when the men come over, were supposed to be in the kitchen. Women go to the kitchen and cook, men sit in the front and talk. That was the cultural expectation at the time. 
And so Martha has these two things putting a lot of pressure on her. On one hand, she really wants to impress and honor and serve Jesus. And on the other hand, there's also all of this cultural expectation that she would be cooking and making a great experience. And then on top of both of those things, Mary isn't helping. Martha's all on her own. So all of this is coming together and really stressing Martha out. And so she goes to Jesus. And in verse 40, she says, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. Martha felt like she was wronged. I mean, this, this seems a fairly reasonable request. It doesn't seem very fair. And personally, I can kind of imagine Martha thinking or, or even saying to Mary, like, look, we all wish we could just sit at the feet of Jesus. You know, in a perfect world, that's what we'd be doing, but it's not that simple. I mean, stuff has to get done. They're hungry. You know, do your responsibilities first. And that's why Jesus' response is so fascinating in verse 41. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Now, I always kind of read this as, you know, Martha, you're so stressed out, you don't need to be worried, just trust me like Mary. And then we all talk about trusting Jesus and not worrying about the world, and we go home. But as I was reading over this, as I was kind of thinking about it and praying about it, I was also looking at the Greek and some other translations, and, and I was really struck by two things. And I actually started to get a little upset. So, so the first one is, when it says Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing, the Greek is more literally, she was distracted by much service, or she was drawn away by much service. And this word service is uh, diakonia. It, it's the same word for ministry. This is also the word we get the word deacon from. A deacon is a word for someone who serves the church. Martha was distracted by her service for Jesus. She was drawn away by her ministry. And when she goes to complain about Mary and talk about how she's all alone working for Jesus, well, what does Jesus say? Well, a slightly more literal translation would sound something like this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one is necessary. That last part, the, the only one is necessary, that stuck with me. Because I, I tend to identify a bit with Martha. You know, I, I want to serve Jesus. I want to honor him. I, I work to serve him. I try to obey him. And I think about and, and and I strive and I'm concerned about these things. And he says only one is necessary? I was feeling a bit indignant on Martha's behalf, thinking if I was Martha, I'd be like, I'm making you dinner. 
I'm serving you. What do you mean that's not necessary? So, so this is the part where I'm going to invite you into my house and my process. So when I'm working on a sermon, I'll read the passage a few times, and I'll look at translations, and I'll get all excited about something, and I'll, I'll run into my front room, and I'll start talking to God, and then I'll go, ooh, ooh, that's a really good point, and I'll run back, and I'll write it down, and then I'll run back out, and I'll listen, and I'll talk, and I'll write it down, and this, this kind of back and forth is where a lot of these sermons come out of. And these conversations, they can be joyful or, or confusing or mournful or hopeful. I think this may be the first time I got a little mad. Because as I'm reading this, I start feeling upset. Like, what do you mean Martha's concern about her service isn't necessary? She is going out of her way to make dinner for you and your disciples. Doesn't that matter to you? And you know, while we're at it, Jesus, it feels like there are a lot of things that are necessary to be concerned about right now. And you know, I'd like not to worry about them. I would love to just ignore them or not hear about them, but there are a lot of bad things going on that feel necessary to deal with. I mean, there are riots we got instability. It feels like there is a disaster waiting around every headline. And we got economic, political, environmental, social. Take your pick, and I would love to ignore them. I would love to not worry about them, but they are happening, and real people are getting hurt, and someone has to do something about it. So let's fix this, Jesus. Let's change this. Tell me what to do, Jesus. The world is on fire. Hand me a bucket and let's get going. But don't tell me that these things aren't necessary to worry about. This is the conversation I was having as I read this passage. I'm just inviting you into my front room where these conversations happen my own struggles with this story. And after I said all that, God responded, and I went and wrote it down. And this is what I heard in my heart. I don't want you to haul buckets. I want you to be a well. I want you to be a spring a never-ending flow of living water. I want your roots to grow down deep into the broken earth until they find the water of life that is holding the whole world up. Bring it to the surface. Drink it yourself. Bear fruit for everyone. That's what I heard. And I can tell you, I want to fix this world. I want to fix it so very much. But this week, Jesus told me that that's not my job. There is only one thing I need to do, only one thing that is necessary. Sit with Jesus and listen to his words. That's what Mary was doing. 
And that's the only thing that's truly needed. But it feels like it can't be that simple, right? I mean, what about joining protests? What about volunteering at the food pantry? What about serving the poor and marginalized, donating money, teaching our children the love of God? What about loving one another as Jesus loves us? Sit and listen. What about all these things, all these important acts of service? Well, listening does mean actually doing what he says. And Jesus does actually talk. The Holy Spirit is actually present. God actually communicates to us. And God may tell me to go protest or volunteer or serve or donate or teach, and then I'll do it. But I will do it because I'm listening, and I will keep listening as I do it. We have an example of this in Mark 6:37. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to summarize it real quick. It's, there was a crowd that was hungry. The disciples saw the crowd was hungry, and they asked Jesus about it. And Jesus said, you feed them. And in that moment, I believe that this was the moment that God told them to do something. And they had the power to do it. In that moment, anything becomes possible. Anything is possible because they weren't out in the crowd fighting to fix the problem. They're not standing in the world with their backs to Jesus. They were standing next to Jesus, looking him in the face, and listening to his words. And when he said, feed them, that is the moment they were actually capable of doing so. Now, if you read the story, they didn't feed them. They sat there asking questions about budget and logistics, and so Jesus just performed a miracle. <laughs> but I personally think that if they had asked Jesus how, he would have told them. And if they had tried it, it would have worked. God is actually present. And we can actually sit at his feet and listen to him just like Mary. This doesn't mean ignoring the world. It doesn't mean running away from responsibility. It means listening to the only person who really knows what's going on. And the only being who knows what you personally can actually do about it. That's the one to listen to. It means going to the source of all real power. It means sitting at the start of every good change. It means listening to the one who loves you more than you can imagine and will not withhold any good thing from you, even his own life. You can do this. And I don't mean you all generally. I mean you personally. You can do this. And I know that is true because your power to do this does not come from you. It comes from Jesus. He has gifted you the personal ability to do this. If you have invited Jesus into your life, he's in your life. He has come into your home. He is sitting in your front room. He is speaking everything that is good and true. So let's get out of the kitchen and sit with him. 
Why would you spend a minute anywhere else? The greatest joy a human can possibly experience is to love and be loved by God. And the God who loves you is available every moment of every day in every circumstance. Why would we be anywhere else? The source of all love and glory that we come here to sing about is following you into every moment. And you don't have to be a monk sitting in a monastery. You can be Mary sitting with love. She found the treasure and she will not lose it. That treasure has been given to you and it will not be taken away. Sometimes we make Christianity so complicated. We add all of these, these ideas and, and doctrines and rules and concepts, and, and, and they're important, but you know what? God's love for you isn't complicated. It's not. And it, it really just comes down to this. Jesus rules the universe, and Jesus offers you an unending life with the God who loves you. Will you give up every other life you could live in exchange for that one? Starting right now. That's the offer. That's Christianity. Will you give up everything else you could do, everything else you could be, every other life you could live in exchange for being in the unending presence of God. And I'm not talking about after you die. I mean right now. This is not talking about becoming a Christian. This message is to Christians. Mary and Martha were already followers of Jesus. He was already in their home, but only one of them was sitting and listening. Only one of them had set aside cultural expectations and all personal desires to pursue a greater desire, the desire to be with Jesus. You may already be a Christian. Jesus is already in your heart, but you have become distracted. You've become drawn away and troubled by so many things. Some may be good things, desires to do good, they may be big things or small things, scary or hopeful, but I am here to tell you it is time to leave them. It is time to give them up and sit and listen. It is time to practice the presence of God, to be like Mary, and practice the presence of God. Okay, so how do we do that? <laughs> That's an obvious, very practical question. Well, I have a little over 10 minutes to talk about that. And the man who I think wrote the best description of this kind of life, well, he said it took him about 10 years before he was getting it consistently. I have 10 minutes to talk about this. So this is a start. This is an opening. This is possibilities. For this particular guy, as a premise, he said that in those 10 years, practicing coming back to God again and again, 
Those were 10 years largely marked by failure. He failed again and again. In fact, he failed so often, he started doubting that he was a real Christian. He thought, look, if it is taking this long to get right with God, if I keep falling, if I keep sinning, when I know better at this point, well, maybe I'm just destined for hell. That's a lie that he struggled with. But he kept struggling, and he kept trying to come to God. And after 10 years of struggle, he made it out the other side. He came through the fire, refined like a new man. And after that time, he could stay with God almost all the time. While he did dishes, while he did shopping, he's writing about doing chores and how it feels like worship. How, he can, how even walking around and getting people angry at him feels like a prayer. He was always aware and delighted by the presence of God. He was living out Paul's encouragement to pray in the Spirit at all times and in every occasion. And you can actually have a life like that. But I'm telling you this, this life is hard. And it is very costly. And so I say that as a warning and also as an encouragement. I mean, Jesus was super clear. Following him is costly. There is no way around this. Giving up every other life in exchange for the one he offers is a great deal and also hard. It is simple, but it's not easy. This is a lifetime task, but that is also an encouragement because when you fail and as you fail, it doesn't mean it's over. You're in year two of 10, decade three of the rest of eternity. So because this is a lifetime task, I want to offer you some places to start. Or this may be a restart if you become distracted or to strengthen your walk if you're already on this journey. And this is very easy steps, very simple, very practical, not the only way, but if you like steps, I hope this will help. So number one, decide if you actually want to do this. This is an often overlooked step. So I have read a lot of books about prayer and listening to God, and a lot of them are very thick. They're long. And if you're a nerd like me, that is really cool and really fun. But they're also more complicated than they have to be. One of the best descriptions I have ever read is this tiny little book. It's a 60-page collection from a man named Brother Lawrence. He's a 17th century Christian, and his letters and a few conversations are the most beautiful, the most helpful, the most simple description I have ever read. I actually carry copies of this with me all the time to give away to people. It may not be for everyone, but it has helped me immensely. And in this book, he says that for him, the most important part of practicing the presence of God was to renounce once and for all everything that does not lead to God. To give it up once and for all. Now, this does not mean you're not going to sin. Brother Lawrence did. I did. Everyone does. This happens. It's not about promising you're never going to sin. In fact, I love the way he talked about it. When he sinned, he wasn't surprised. 
He would just pray to God, you know, sin is my nature. It's the only thing I know how to do. So I can't do any better without you. Please forgive me. Keep me from falling and correct the mistakes I make. And then he would move on, unworried, because he lived in the presence of God and he knew how much God loved him. So deciding that you're going to do this, renouncing whatever does not lead to God, this is not a promise not to sin. It is the calm, serious decision that you are going to give up every other kind of life in exchange for one that is constantly dwelling with God. Number two, ask a friend to commit to reminding you. Brother Lawrence, C.S. Lewis, Paul, many, many writers all warn us that if you try this way of life, you will fall many times as you learn. And it is very common to forget or become distracted or dismayed. And this is why it is vital to have a friend who knows about your commitment and can remind you to return to God when you're distracted. It's especially helpful if this is the kind of friend you normally complain to. For me, this is absolutely my wife. I cannot tell you how many times I've been stressed about a decision or a situation, and I'm complaining to my wife, and I'm telling her how I'm so torn, and, and I don't know when it seems impossible, and she'll just say, well, have you asked God about it? This is the best and also the most annoying response. Because of course I haven't asked God about it. If I had, I wouldn't be tied up in knots. But it works because she knows that I'm committed to listening to God no matter what. She knows I have pre-decided. It's not always the best answer for someone who hasn't committed to this. But for someone who's committed to this, it's the best answer. But it's also humbling. It's humiliating, in fact. Because in that moment, I have a choice. I am stuck in something that is complicated and scary and frustrating. And in that moment, I am so tempted to justify why I haven't talked to God about it. I want to explain how it's not that kind of problem. Or, or I've prayed about it before. Or I'll pray about it later. Or, or God can't help or, or won't help anything to justify my anger and frustration and confusion, and I don't want to hear only one thing is necessary. But I've already committed to listening. I've pre-decided the answer to this question. So when she says this, I have to humble myself and go to another room and pray. Not later, at that very moment. Because frankly, if I have time to complain to my wife for another 30 minutes, I got 10 minutes to pray. And I can pray, God, you are good. And I am sorry I did not come to you with this sooner. You know exactly what is going on with me, and you know exactly what is going on with this situation. What do you want to tell me? What do you want me to hear? 
I'm here to listen to you. And then I wait. And maybe I'll hear something. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be drawn to a verse or a song or a picture or an idea. It may be about the situation I'm worried about, or very often it's about something completely different and far more important than I'm aware of. So that's number two. One more step. Give God your attention daily. So you've decided to do this. You've asked a friend to help you. Now you actually do it. You're actually going to sit like Mary and listen. Practicing the presence of God is quite simple. Give God your attention. That's it. And there's lots of traditions about how to do this. There are many names and ways of doing this. Uh, a prayer, contemplation, meditation, adoration, worship. But really, the heart of all of this is giving God our attention. Be merry. Sit at his feet. Look at his face and listen. This is truly as simple as stopping in the midst of your day and just turning your attention to God. And if you find that your mind or heart is anxious or guilty or angry or anything distracting, you don't have to fight it. Let that be the subject of your conversation with God. Use your distractions and your fears as a reminder to look to God. Make them work for you. Use them as the opening of your conversation. And over time, through faith and through much difficulty, your heart will learn that it can trust God. And then when you turn your attention to God, you can remember all the good he has done and you can imagine all the better yet to come. And you will begin to see the scale of his love for you simply by the faithful, humble, patient task of giving him your daily attention across long years. I think Brother Lawrence described this best. God does not ask much of you, but remembering him praising him, asking for his grace, offering him your troubles, or thanking him for what he has given you will console you all the time. During your meals, during any daily duty, lift up your heart to him, because even the least little remembrance will please him. You don't have to pray out loud. He's nearer than you can imagine. It isn't necessary that we stay in church in order to remain in God's presence. We can make our hearts personal chapels where we can enter any time to talk to God privately. These conversations can be so loving and so gentle, and anyone can have them. These three steps are just some ways some possible ways to practice the presence of God. Sitting with Jesus and listening, it is simple, but it's not easy. And so if you have questions about this, or if you want help, 
Or if you'd like to gather with people who are dedicated to doing this and to helping each other do this, please come talk to me or to one of our staff or volunteers. But do not hesitate. Do not put this off. Because this today, it's not just a nice idea. It's not just another concept. This is the good news of what God offers you. It is the good news that God loves you and that his loving presence is available to you at every moment of every day. It is the good news that this is freely offered by grace. And it's the warning that no other life will satisfy. I conclude by passing on to you what has been passed on to me. Jesus rules the universe. And Jesus offers you an unending life in the presence of the God who loves you. Will you give up every other life in exchange for that one, starting now and continuing every day?